0: Thank you for listening to Enabled this week. Do you remember when we could just uh, travel? You know, go places, see things, send postcards home. Actually, that's all we can do now is remember and plan ahead for the day when we can travel once again. Recently, I discovered a museum that I had never heard about, the Museum of the Eye. I put it on my bucket list. Their website says, Welcome to the Trulson Marmor Museum of the Eye. The information for this program came from www.aao.org slash Museum of the Eye. The article begins, How Do You See the World? Find out at the American Academy of Ophthalmology's Trulson Marmor Museum of the Eye, the world's only free public museum dedicated to the fascinating science of sight. It's located in San Francisco, California. I think I'd better take some time now and spell that name of the museum for you. It's the Trulson Marmor Museum of the Eye. T R U H L S E N dash Marmor M A R M O R. So we have the truelsen Marmor Museum of the Eye. Now I have found some interesting articles for you on their blog, which was started recently because of the COVID pandemic. A little heads up here, you might need an empty paper towel tube near the end of this half hour. First I found the welcome from the museum director. This was published in August of twenty twenty. It's written by Jenny Benjamin, who's director of the Trulson Marmor Museum of the Eye. She's also director of Ophthalmic Heritage. She says to you and to me, hello and welcome to the virtual Trulson Marmor Museum of the Eye. My name is Jenny Benjamin and I am director of the museum. This is our first of many blog posts which will explore the incredible world of ophthalmology. Guest authors and museum staff will fill this space as we explore the museum's collections and exhibits together. It is our goal to start conversations with those who are curious about the wonders of sight and the history of ophthalmic medicine. The COVID-19 pandemic has been hard on museums across the country. I am currently unable to provide you with a visit to see our artifacts and our new galleries in San Francisco. But instead, I've been spending my time looking at my community and wondering how best to make sense of the months we have been sheltering and waiting for a cure or a treatment to this infectious disease. And a reminder here, this was written in August of 2020. The article continues, one thing I have noticed is that many folks are looking to the past, particularly to the 1918 flu pandemic for insight on how to ride out this one. And being someone who thinks a lot about eye medicine, I thought, why limit our insight to the flu? Well, our next online exhibit will be Back to the Future, Responses to Global Pandemic, an exploration of the parallels between COVID-19 and trachoma, an ophthalmic pandemic disease with outbreaks in the 19th and 20th centuries. Trachoma, I'll spell that, T-R-A-C-H-O-M-A trachoma has fascinating parallels to our current situation having triggered travel bans changed immigration policies built hospital infrastructure and even a national education campaign to as they say flatten the curve now at this point in the article there is a picture i think it's probably of a poster as was mentioned in that national education campaign It's a picture titled an illustration of trachoma, one of the oldest known eye diseases. Caused by the bacteria called Chlamydia trachomatsis, the infection often happens in childhood. Today, trachoma is the world's leading cause of infectious blindness. This was a poster, I presume, from an earlier time, probably in the 19th century, maybe even 1918, around that time, the poster. So as the article continues by saying, as we work to get the exhibit called Back to the Future available to you, I'll point anyone interested in the subject to check out our earlier exhibit, which we called Contagion. This exhibit is a broader discussion of contagious disease, the difference between viruses and bacterial infections, and fascinating characters from ophthalmic history. This exhibit on their website is called Contagion. Uh, These stories inspire me with hope for the future because if people over 150 years ago could understand the nature of disease and conquer it, we can too. I hope in the coming months you will explore the museum's website and continually check back with us to learn more about the history of ophthalmology. I personally look forward to sharing news about the museum's new acquisitions, curiosities from the vault and the interesting stories that cross my desk. The next article from the blog is titled More About Jenny Benjamin, who is director of the Trulson Marmor Museum of the Eye. At parties, she says, remember those? At parties, I used to joke that I had the weirdest job in the room. Not only do I work in a museum, but I work in an eyeball museum. The question I am most asked often is, how did you end up doing that? Well, here's my story, she says. After graduate school at the George Washington University in Washington, D.C., I did what you would expect, and I searched for a job in the D.C. metro area. Soon thereafter, I got an offer from the American Academy of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery. This was located in nearby Alexandria, Virginia. At this point, I can hear you thinking, the what? The American Academy of Otolaryngology is the National Association of Ear, Nose, and Throat Physicians. And they had a museum. I learned how to say otolaryngology and spell it correctly, which is impressive in itself. I also learned the fascinating history of the eye, ear, nose, and throat medicine in the United States. It's abbreviated EENT. This practice was often done together in the United States and this job was actually my introduction to eyes. In 2001, I left the otolaryngologists and joined the American Academy of Ophthalmology to run their museum, rare book library, and archive. It was a dream come true. Not only did I get to continue my work in the history of medicine field, but I also got to return to my hometown, San Francisco, with my new husband in tow. Over the past 19 years, I have felt privileged to help the Museum of the Eye grow and evolve into a public venue that can fascinate the public and physicians in equal measure. The next article from their blog is called An Ideal Story for the New Year, and this was published on January 1st of this year. The author is, once again, Jenny Benjamin, who is the director of the Threlson Marmor Museum of the Eye. She says, we ring in the new year with one subject that I find fascinating. That is the history of quack medicine, which is an aggressively promoted, fraudulent medical treatment. In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, there was an avalanche of cures along with advertisements to sell them. The Museum of the Eye has a collection of these items related to curing eye disease. Recently, the Academy Museum and its public eye health website called EyeSmart, this is the website, EyeSmart, uh, we collaborated to capture a list of some of the worst offenders. It is important when looking at the history of quack medicine that it isn't confused with early medical treatments that we would consider primitive or misinformed. Plenty of learned physicians employed medical treatments that may shock us today. For example, leeches, mercury pills, and lead salts among those. What distinguishes quackery is that it was sold knowingly to be worthless which makes their crimes worse, as unsuspecting patients were endangered merely for profit. As the iSmart website list notes, one of the worst offenders was Charles Tyrell, and that's spelled T-Y-R-E-L-L, Charles Tyrell and his ideal sight restorer. Tyrell tried to convince people that they would not need glasses as long as they did the proper eye exercises. Not knowing anything of eye anatomy, Tyrell's product provided a gentle suction against the closed eyelids and rubbed the area around the eyes to increase blood flow and to tone the eye's muscles. Now I'll stop the article and tell you that at this point there's a picture that shows a small hinged case lined with bright orange satin. Inside the top part of the case, you notice elegant gold script giving the name of the product, which is the Ideal Sight Restorer. It also gives the name and address of the company. And in the bottom half of this case, you will see the product itself. It is in the shape of the letter U, and it looks like it's made of a flexible orange-colored tubing. At each end of the U shape are yellow cups, separated by an adjustable gold metal brace. And Now back to the article. The word professor starts out, it's in quotes, Professor Tyrell was a masseur who obtained a medical degree at the age of 57 from the New York Eclectic Medical College. He had a private practice and two mail-order concerns, one being this ideal company. On several occasions, the American Medical Association investigated Tyrell and his company, proclaiming his device to be, as they said, pseudo-medical claptrap. The Museum of the Eye has three versions of the Ideal Sight Restorer, plus an accompanying pamphlet published in 1901. Without a hint of hyperbole, the pamphlet suggests we, quote, spend a moment in the company of the poets. And then they list quotes from the likes of Shakespeare and Byron, all on the beauty of the eyes. It then notes some tragic stories from people who have lost their sight. If this wasn't a hard enough sell, they have employed a beautiful model whom they describe as, quote, disfigured by her hideous glasses. All she and you have to do is apply the ideal sight restorer. The company guaranteed success but would not provide the instrument on trial their terms were strictly cash. From 1901 to 2021, there have been 120 years of progress since the Ideal Company proclaimed, here's a quote, the eye is the chiefest channel of the soul's expression. That is probably the only true thing they ever said. The next article is titled Numismatics, Coronavirus and the Death of Dr. J.M. Galst. This was published on September 18th in 2020, last year. The author is Jenny Benjamin, who is director of the Trulson marmer Museum of the Eye. She writes, in April of 2020, the museum lost a dear friend to the coronavirus. J.M. Galst, M.D., had a deep interest in ophthalmic history. He was involved with the Academy's Trulson Marmor Museum of the Eye since 1985, serving on numerous committees, and he was co-chair of the Acquisition Subcommittee at the time of his death. Dr. Galst was an avid collector of numismatics. This is a diverse field covering things like currency, tokens, commemorative medals, and medallic art. He was a renowned expert in the field, specializing in specimens related to ophthalmology, optics, and vision. Between 1985 and 2020, Dr. Galst donated 190 artifacts to the museum, covering everything from ancient coins to modern metals. As the museum has been under construction, we have been trying to determine how to honor Dr. Galst and his legacy. So I am pleased to announce that we are gathering his donations and naming them we name them the Dr J M Galst numismatics collection we will feature part of the collection in our new museum amongst his many donations one of my favorite items chosen for the exhibit is a 75 Not notgeld note i better spell those words for you fenig is p f e n n i g Notgeld is N-O-T-G-E-L-D. Among the things he donated was a 75 Fennig Notgeld note issued by the city of Rathenau in about the year 1920. The German word Notgeld means emergency currency issued by a city or state during times of political or economic crises. It is usually accepted for short periods of time until a central government can once again issue valid currency. This note was produced in Rathenau, Germany, during the economic crises between World War I and World War II. At that time, over 200 optical companies operated in Rathenau, which is featured on the banknote. Now, at this point in the article, there is a picture showing both sides of this currency. The front of the note shows the side view of a lovely woman. Her hair is swept up into an elegant hairstyle with ringlets at the side of her face. She is wearing a fashionable dress with a low-cut neckline and puffy sleeves. In her right hand, she is holding a long, red-handled lorgnette. The caption says, And if the woman is so pretty, her glasses must be from Rathenau. Now the flip side of the papal currency shows in the center an image that includes some of the buildings in this old German town. A tall red brick steeple rises in the background. Several two- or three-story brick buildings are to the left of the steeple. And in the foreground, there is a whitewashed stone cottage behind a gray wooden fence. The cottage is surrounded by lush green trees and bushes. It faces a sidewalk that disappears off to the rear. Above this central image, it says Rathenau, the name of the city. Underneath the image, it says the magistrates, and their signatures are displayed below this. On the left and right of this image is a little rhyme when it's read in German. Basically, it translates to something like this. This certificate is from the city. It can only be used in Rathenau. It is void after three months from when it was issued on the official page. And once again, in the original German, it was a little rhyme. Now, at this point, I'd like to give many thanks to my daughter, Wendy, who helped me with this translation from the very old German script that shows on the note. And now we'll go back to the article. The author, Jenny Benjamin, says, Many years ago, so long ago that I can't remember the year, a couple arrived in San Francisco from Germany wanting to visit the museum. At the time, it was open by appointment only, so I provided a personal tour of the displays. As I met them in the building's lobby, I quickly realized that they spoke little English, and I spoke absolutely no German. After a lot of pointing and smiling, we made our way to the exhibits, where this artifact was on display. Immediately, the couple began exclaiming in utter surprise and delight, As it turns out, they lived in Rathenau, which is still known for its optical industry. As they explained, Rathenau's connection to ophthalmology was the main reason they had decided to seek out the museum here in the first place. Through more pointing and photos on phones, I learned that the reverse of the banknote clearly shows the city's skyline, some of which had been destroyed during World War II. This type of connection with visitors is what makes running the Museum of the Eye such a joy for me. This memory, along with that of Dr. J. Gauss' enthusiasm for numismatics, makes this artifact one of my favorites from our numismatics collection. Now, as an introduction to the next section, I found the following little paragraph for you. The question is asked, what are optical illusions? Sometimes your eyes see things that your brain doesn't understand. These are optical illusions, pictures that play tricks on your eyes and confuse your brain. Besides being fun, optical illusions help us to better understand vision and demonstrate how closely our eyes and our brains work together. Scientists have studied optical illusions, and they still don't completely understand or agree about how they work. However, many scientists believe that some optical illusions are caused when the information taken in by our eyes conflicts with how our brain interprets that information. The brain can't make sense of what the eyes are seeing. So it falls back on its previous experiences. It turns the unfamiliar into something familiar. And that was the answer to the question, what are optical illusions? So next, I come to the article from this uh, blog, Can You Believe Your Eyes? This was published on November 6th in 2020. The author is Stephanie Stewart Bailey, who is a museum specialist at the Museum of the Eye. Our eyes are just the beginning of our complex visual system. The brain plays an important role in what we see, but it can sometimes be tricked into seeing things that aren't there. On October 22nd, the Museum of the Eye presented an exhibit called Can You Believe Your Eyes? at this year's virtual Bay Area Science Festival. The free family-friendly program included a conversation with Smith-Kettlewell Eye Research Institute senior scientist, Dr. Preeti Verghese. The discussion was about the brain's connection with the eyes and a couple of educational experiments that viewers could easily do at home. This is where we mentioned you better get your paper towel tube ready. Welcome back to the article, Dr. Preeti Verghese runs her own lab at Smith Kettlewell. For 24 years, she has studied human vision both in health and disease. She researches and studies adaptations that individuals with poor vision can make so that they may take advantage of their residual vision. Dr. Preeti helped us better understand the eye-brain connection through several optical illusion experiments. One experiment that we explored is called a hole in your hand. Well, I got those instructions for you from their website. We can try it now if you get your paper towel tube out. The website, by the way, is www.aao.org museum. And you should search at that point for a hole in your hand. Description of this uh, activity is you will create an optical illusion with an everyday object. The purpose is to show that each eye sees a slightly different view and that the brain puts the two views together to form one image. The length of the activity 15 minutes. Nah, I think it's more like five minutes if you have your tube handy. The materials you need you already know the answer to this the materials you need one cardboard tube like a paper towel tube or you can actually roll a sheet of paper to make your own tube the steps what do you do number one you hold your tube in your left hand and you place it in front of your left eye number two next you look through the tube like it was a telescope but you keep both eyes open Choose an object in the distance to look at. In the example, they have a tree like in the backyard or maybe the the house out in the back, something sort of far away that you can look at. Next, hold your right hand in front of your right eye with the palm facing you. About two inches from your face or just beyond your nose, place the edge of your hand next to or actually touching the tube. So now what's going on? Do you see the hole in your hand? When you look through the tube and see a hole in your hand, you are actually seeing an optical illusion. The tube allows you to look into the distance with your left eye and to see your hand with your right eye. Your brain took what your left eye saw, that tree off in the distance, and they put it, the brain put it together with what your right eye saw, your hand, forming one image. That image makes it seem like there is a hole in your hand. Scientists have studied optical illusions and they still don't completely understand or agree about how they work. However, many scientists believe that some optical illusions are caused when the information taken in by our eyes conflicts with how our brain interprets that information. Each of our eyes sees a different image. It's the brain's job to combine those two separate images into one. In this experiment, The Hole in Your Hand, we provide the brain with an unnatural situation where one eye sees only a limited view through the tube while the other sees what it would normally. The only way that the brain can interpret these two segregated images coming in from the two separate eyes is to combine them. This leaves the viewer seeing a hole in their hand. Another curious aspect of this experiment is that for a lot of people, the effect is stronger with one eye compared to the other. Often, one eye is more dominant than the other, which means that the brain has a slight preference for the information coming in through that eye. Well, I'm hoping that today's program has tempted you to visit the Trulson Marmor Museum of the Eye, where they attempt to answer the question, how do you see the world? The Trulson Marmor Museum of the Eye, it's spelled T-R-U-H-L-S-E-N-M-A-R-M-O-R. The museum is located on the ground floor of the American Academy of Ophthalmology, situated in the easily accessible Fisherman's Wharf neighborhood of San Francisco. You can find them on the corner of Bay Street and Hyde Street across from the Cable Car Turnaround. Mailing address would be 645 Beach Street, B-E-A-C-H, 645 Beach Street, San Francisco, California. Admission to the museum is free and open to the public. The hours, as you probably know, they are not currently allowed to be open because of the pandemic restrictions. They will announce opening hours as soon as they can safely reopen. A comment now about accessibility. The Museum of the Eye is committed to ensuring that our museum and programs are accessible by all individuals. Our entrance and galleries are ADA compliant. We also strive to ensure that the museum is accessible to those with visual impairments. You can ask at the front desk if you would like to make use of our large print exhibition text and or our magnifying glasses. If you would like to arrange a private tour designed specifically for people who are experiencing low vision or blindness, you can contact the museum staff via email at museum at aao.org or by telephone at area code 415-447-0208, the Museum of the Eye. Well, to summarize today's program, I will say that it was a teaser tempting you to make plans to travel once again and maybe make plans to visit the Museum of the Eye in San Francisco to find out how you see the world. To end the program today, I have a quote for you to think about. What we see depends mainly on what we look for. This was said by John Lubbock, Sir John Lubbock, a London banker, politician, and philanthropist who lived from 1834 to 1913. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great week.